Arrow Films is a leading independent entertainment distribution company established in 1991, operating in the UK, the Republic of Ireland, United States of America, and Canada. Arrow Films is dedicated to supporting upcoming and established filmmakers of dynamic new cinema and developing an inviolable slate of quality films that enjoy a lasting legacy across its award-winning branded labels, channels, and platforms. Arrow Films is also a leading restorer and theatrical distributor of classic and cult horror films, including landmark titles such as the 25th anniversary reissue of Cinema Paradiso, the 15th anniversary reissue of Donnie Darko, and the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser. These lovingly restored films are brought back into cinemas nationwide with brand new look campaigns with wide-reaching distribution, including outdoor event status screenings at various cultural festivals, and as one-off bookings in local repertory cinemas and film societies. Aerofilms is also widely considered to be the global market leader in the premium home entertainment market, fueled by passionate and expert curation aligned with state-of-the-art in-house film restoration, resulting in highly sought-after bespoke Blu-ray editions of classic cult and horror films across its Aero Video and Aero Academy branded labels. Beloved by collectors, these ever-expanding brands continue to delight their growing international fan base with regular interactive live events, festival sponsorship, and retail stands presence. Our offering extends to truly limited edition box sets, as well as associated spin-off products, now including books and vinyl records. We are so happy to have Aero Video as one of our new sponsors. You can find them at www.aerofilms.com. While you're there, be sure to pick up some cool titles. For example, they have the brand new American Werewolf in London collection, which is beautiful. The complete Sartana collection, Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, Toys Are Not For Children, a new edition of Al Pacino's Cruising, and let's not forget a limited edition copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and a limited edition copy of RoboCop. There's so much more I can't even get into them all, but trust me when I say they're fantastic. And we couldn't be happier to have them. So once again, visit Aerofilms at www.aerofilms.com and check out all of their brands from Aero Video, Aero Academy, Aerofilms, and Aero TV. Today's episode is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, Latino cinema, and they even produce their own content in-house, which is pretty freaking cool. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. They've got their hands in just about everything. And I gotta say, my favorite aspect of Mill Creek is how plentiful they are. It's rare that I've gone to a store and not seen their now ubiquitous logo on display. I'm sure you own at least one of their titles without even realizing it, and to make it even more strange, I was at Menards the other day and saw a whole selection of Mill Creek titles. <laughs> So, available at your local Menards, for those of you in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, be sure to check out their new Hammer Horror box set, which I'm not sure whether or not that's at Menards or not, but but they put it out. Their Rita Hayworth collection, many titles within the wildly popular Ultraman series, and the David Gordon Green comedy, Your Highness. 
They're also well known for putting out great television series like Community, The Mindy Project, The Unbreakable Timmy Schmidt, and Eureka. God, I love Eureka. The the goddamn Sci-Fi Channel can put together an addictively cheesy series. Can't they? Oh, they they have a knack of having the lowest budgets possible, but they still make it addicting as hell. <laughs> but speaking of addictively cheesy, don't forget about Santa with muscles. Oh my God! How could I forget? Yes, Mill Creek is also responsible for distributing that little Hulk Hogan Christmas classic. So head to Mill Creek. ENT.com and see what their collection has to offer. That's MillCreekENT.com. MillCreekEnt. I guarantee you'll find something great. I don't have a plan for tonight. I just figured That's fine. Uh, we would just shoot the shit a little bit. Uh, I, I did have a couple people ask questions. It was like one of them. It kind of started off as a joke, but I feel like it would tie in perfectly for us. It was, you know, how many VHS tapes is too many? And I was like, I think that just ties perfectly into our collecting <laughs> habit and kind of oh, how God, that, yeah. that began for both of us. <laughs> I know um, you have so many more than me. I've actually just started reorganizing some shit because I ran out of space. So that's what I was doing before we uh, went on today. Yeah, I've got a couple I need to I need to um, put back in. Things I have to review, I, I tend not to mix in. Um, but things that I've just freshly reviewed or like bought I've seen and you know, like I know I'm going to want to watch it. Oh, like I just bought the Godfather, for example. Like, yeah, that'll go back. That'll alphabetize that in because I know I want to watch that. I don't need to remind myself that this is. Did you get the 4k? Oh yeah. Did you get the, uh, that whole, uh, trilogy book or that? No, no, I just got the base version. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need all that. I was looking at it, but it comes. It just comes in like one of those, like I guess it's Digibooks or whatever, where the discs are in the cardboard. And I was like, I that's the my least favorite way to like store Blu-rays is in the little cardboard like slip disc or whatever you want to call the it. Alfred Hitch- I hate that. The Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> collection does that, and my like my copy of Vertigo keeps like sliding down farther. And <laughs> I hate that. But Godzilla kind of does that too, and that that one kind of sucks which godzilla is, <laughs> the, the, God, is it one the, of the, the criterion godzilla kind of has like a, oh really yeah it's it's not the best packaging plus yeah, it doesn't like, fit on a shelf it's bigger than a book oh my god that's like my midsummer freaking director's cut over here this thing is like literally the size of a book i mean this thing is massive it doesn't go anywhere it'll go right there but i mean look at the size of that compared to a regular blu-ray it still pisses me. It still like, pisses me Jesus. off that the Stranger Things box sets don't fit on my shelves because they have those VHS boxes. But oh the yeah. Shows, but oh man, we could talk about that too. That uh, trailer just dropped today. I haven't so watched was, it yet. I haven't either. I just knew it. I just know it dropped, and I'm like, do I want to watch it or do I want to just like? I know I'm gonna. I'm gonna watch it. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, no, I'm gonna watch the show. I don't need to see the trailer. Exactly. It's like I don't need to see the trailer for something I know I'm gonna like. It's exactly. established show. I'm gonna watch it. So it's like exactly. Warning: This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements: endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation: The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me today is a good buddy of mine, Austin Proctor of the horror podcast Frightmares. Now, it's also unfair to uh, to 
is it unfair to say a horror podcast, or is that exclusively what you talk about? That's, those are the no, only episodes I've listened to. But <laughs> um, more recently, we've been kind of like starting the show with just like stuff we've been watching lately. But yeah, nine times out of ten, it's just it's horror movies. That's pretty much exclusively what we do. Do you ever feel that is um, limiting in any way? Do you ever? Is there ever times where you're like, man, I don't want to talk about a horror movie this time. I want to talk about the best little whorehouse in Texas. Uh, yeah, that's why we started kind of just doing whatever in the beginning, like the first 10, 20 minutes now is usually us just talking about any genre. And then we dive into the horror movie because, well, and it's funny because our, our, you know, our formats changed a lot. We used to do like four movies, then we cut it down to two, then we cut it down to one. So we constantly change the format so it keeps it fresh. But I know once we, now we're down to one movie, there's not really much else I can do in terms of format. So I'm sure eventually we'll probably you know, like go further into other movies and stuff like that. That's what I'd like to do because eventually we're going to start running out of horror movies. I mean, I say that, but like <laughs> eventually I'm going to hit a point where I'm like, all right, it's time to do more genres. It's always funny. Like, cause like I, I didn't want to limit myself. Cause at, w- at one point I thought, well, I'd love to do a horror podcast because I love horror films, but I, obviously I can't speak for you, but I, I, I have such a, a vast taste in film and I know you do as well. There are some times where like I've, when I've just gone on a binge of watching part of me, horror movies, I don't really want to watch one for a while. Yeah. And I was like, if I feel obligated, then it's not fun anymore. So I didn't want to like limit myself. So I thought with well, doing this show, I could talk about whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. You know, and there are definitely times we talk about horror, but like it's, that's definitely been freeing for me. Cause like I, I know for example, after October, like I don't usually after October when you like, um, you've binged horror films or whatever. Cause I, even though I watched them throughout <laughs> the year, uh, I'm just like, man, I just want to watch a drama. What the fuck? Yeah, I can say that uh, because I do my 31 days of horror every year. So, yeah, after, like, October 31st, I'm like, all right, we got to change pace here and do something different because, yeah, I'm kind of burnt out since I already watch a lot of horror movies to begin with throughout the year. Like, doubling down in October for me can be a lot. So I'm like, all right, we got it. Like, November's usually, like, holiday movies or something like mm-hmm. that until we get to Christmas. And then it's pretty much just all all Christmas movies uh, in December. So it's a nice break, and then January I get right back to the horror. <laughs> I don't know about you, but usually for October for me, since I do uh, watch so many horror films throughout the year, I try to keep it to, um, I guess I go for a specific vibe. It's, it's a lot of nostalgia watches for me, so things mm-hmm. that I liked that are like uh, like kid-friendly horror films, I watch a lot of that stuff. I look for stuff with like really specific atmosphere to it. Like I, 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 I cater what I watch. Like I'm not gonna throw on Texas Chainsaw Massacre during right. October. That doesn't feel right for me. Uh, but like something like like the Vinegar Syndrome title Hellmaster, that just feels very Octobery. And or Hellmaster. Like, oh, I haven't heard of that one. Or You're Next. That's another one I'll, I'll put on. Oh, that's a great one. I think Adam Wingard has kind of uh, slept on a little bit with his horror movies because You're Next is quite possibly one of my favorite to just throw on. That's actually my wife's, one of my wife's favorite as well. She loves that movie. Yeah, it's, it's one of my, and I completely agree. I do think he is slept on. Like, you know, I've got all the love in the world for Ty West, but but it's like, man, why aren't more people talking about Adam Wingard the way they're talking about Ty West? And it's weird. And it's not to say that Adam Wingard's not doing shit. He fucking just yeah. directed Kong versus Godzilla. The man. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> he's, he's doing fine. But yeah, he's like, doing great. <laughs> I feel like you, you mention him in the, uh, he's not, his name is not in the lexicon the way that some of his contemporaries are. And I, and I think it's a shame because, like, Oh, I just I've I just think he's he's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I know people were not a fan of the uh, Death Note that he did. I haven't watched and, it. And I mean, 
I, I'm not. I've never seen anything Death Note before until I watched that. I I enjoyed it, but I know it would. It didn't. I guess it didn't do Death Note justice. And then you know, a lot of people also didn't like his Blair Witch Project, which I I quite liked uh, a lot because um, I I don't know. I just felt. I, I feel kind of middle of the road about um, Blair Witch, not because I didn't dislike it. I guess I just don't have a strong enough opinion about it one way or another to like. That's fair. Give my opinion, but I, I definitely didn't dislike it. Yeah, a lot of people hate on that one, and uh, yeah, the Death Note. So I don't, I don't know if maybe it's because of those two things that people just kind of, I don't know, I don't know, don't talk about him or, or whatever. But I know those two aren't typically liked in the horror community. Um, but the, you know, like I said. Blair Witch, I loved. I know it's not really anything compared to the original, but it's still a lot of fun. You know, it's a, it's like a spooky movie <laughs> in the woods, found footage. I love found footage and Adam Wingard. I, do I mean, too. like, honestly, I love found footage. <laughs> I would say mo- usually most of them usually aren't the best, uh, but I always go in hopeful. Like, um, as above, so below. I think is like one of the best oh, that have been yes. made. I fucking love that movie. It actually managed to scare. There's some just frightening imagery in there, and it's not just like jump scare imagery. Like there's just some really brooding shots in that movie. I think it's incredible. It's very spooky, and it also has a very interesting ending. Because you know, I'm not going to give it away, but it has a. To me, it had like a very like solid ending. Because typically with found footage, the ending is where it like you know it can it can kill the movie. But that mm-hmm. one was so. <clears throat> so well done and i was like you know what i'm like satisfied that was a satisfying ending for how it played out so yeah that's one i t- i love and another one is grave encounters i don't know if you've seen that no, one i've not i've heard of it i've just never that one's really good watching it it's a spoof on um what's his face from ghost adventures or whatever zach baggins i think right from ghost <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a spoof on him but it's another just solid creepy very very well done movie there, so yeah check that one there out there wasn't a korean one about uh, uh ganjium haunted asylum yeah you knew exactly yeah. what i was talking about oh that yeah dude pretty good. that one yeah that's pretty much the uh, i think it's i think it's korean or japanese but that's pretty much the uh, it's like grave encounters but you know like mm-hmm. korean or japanese i can't remember where it's from but it's essentially grave encounters but just done a little bit better so one movie that people hate on when it comes to the well, people hate on found footage anyways but one i think it's a very unfair rap but i also will say i've not seen it since its original dvd release so maybe it doesn't hold up oh, but, DVD, okay uh, diary of the dead george romero's film i don't think it's oh, as yeah. bad as people claim it to be and maybe just because this is one of the few times where like so like the biggest suspension of disbelief when is like why why don't they just drop the fucking camera and run <laughs> and i was like and half the time i can't even argue that yeah um but in this one like i just i love this concept that this guy is just like well someone has to to film this someone has to you know this has to be a document um and i also love just maybe because it's you know the 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 nerdy film guy in me i love that there's shots of them being like we have to document everything so they sit down they'd set down a camera and show them editing the film yeah <laughs> no, i was like we've one, never I, seen anyone edit in a found footage movie yeah i love that one too it's been god it's been ages since i've seen it but i i remember enjoying it and i don't i remember wondering like why did people not like this movie so much um, but I know found footage in general typically does kind of just get like tossed to the wayside. Like a lot of people aren't into found footage to begin with. Um, but you know, it was George Romero. I mean, come on, what's not to like about that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I definitely, that's one I need to rewatch. I also just recently actually watched his, uh, uh, land of the dead which i had never seen before and that was solid i don't know if you've seen that one that's I, a pretty solid one that is that one is always going to have a a soft place in my heart because uh is that the right 
I think so. Well, right? whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is because I believe it might have been the first of the dead movie I had seen. Other than maybe oh, really? the, other than maybe a, like uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead, just because okay. I feel like that one was on quite a bit, uh, just anywhere. Yeah. So I don't remember if, if I saw Night first, but Land was definitely the first, if not the first one I saw, the first non Night of the Living Dead one that I had seen, not including like the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead, because um, I'm sure I had seen that, but that doesn't count. Um, so I always had a soft spot for for Land of the Dead. Plus, I love uh, um, um, I love John Leguizamo, obviously, because I'm a big proponent of uh, of Super Mario Brothers. I love Dennis Hopper. Um, Aja Argento's in it. Yeah, it had surprisingly like solid cast. And actually, for, that was how was. I discovered anything about Dario Argento because I remember I had the DVD once again for Land of the Dead. Oh and wow! There was a uh, there was an interview on there with Aja, and she was like, "Well, of course, because who my father is, I know all about fake blood." And I'm like, "Who's your dad?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's how you found out about Dario Argento was through Land of the Dead. It's I. So it's hard to remember for sure. So I, if I, I might have seen Suspiria before I saw Land of the Dead. I actually think I did, but I don't think I really knew who Dario Argento was. Like I okay. knew Suspiria as a film, but I didn't really know like who he was. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Have you seen the? Uh, what did you see the remake of Suspiria by chance? I still haven't watched it just because the runtime is keeping me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> keeping me away. I've heard it's a slower yeah. movie, which I don't mind. I actually love slower films, but I need to be. I need to be in the right headspace for a slow, long movie. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I thought it was pretty solid, well done. You know, good cast, uh, pretty solid ending as well. But yeah, it is definitely is definitely a long movie, and those are always hard horror movies that are over two hours for me. I'm just like, uh, you know, you have to be like holding my attention the whole time. Because I don't know, I'm not a fan of really anything over like 215 to begin with. So if a horror movie is super long, it's like, all right, we got to make sure there's enough sustenance for this to keep it going. You know, I don't want to just be, I don't want to be bored during it. You know, I want to be entertained. So yeah, I, I feel like it was um, maybe it's a Martin Scorsese quote that I might be bastardizing where he says, "You get the first 90 minutes for free." Yeah. Everything else after that, you have to earn. Right. Yeah, because and that's like my sweet spot for horror movies is like 115 to like 135. Like that's like the perfect amount for a horror movie, in my opinion, like a slasher or something like that. Um, anytime I see a horror movie that's like 78 minutes, I don't, I don't give a shit. I'm going to watch it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, it's um, like 145 is pushing it, but it's like, okay. yeah. Like Hereditary was like over two hours, but that's like that's a solid movie, you know. Midsommar, mm-hmm. the director's cut's like, good God, it's almost near three hours, but they're so visually like they're so aesthetic that I can I can watch them and the story and just how he how Ari Aster builds tension is just is just fantastic. So that stuff I can watch, but or like the Lighthouse, you know, Eggers, um, his stuff is great too. I'm excited for the Northman coming out. Like I can't wait to see him do something that's not necessarily horror. It's more of like a Viking kind of. I don't know. Have you you've heard about that one? No, right? yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I want to. Okay. There, um, <laughs> I want to like. I want to see the Northman, and then I want to go home and and double it with um, the Green Knight, just to. Oh yeah, that would be a good one. Put myself both A twenty four mindsets of of weirdness, medieval shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm the same. Like I'm runtime. It's weird to say it. It sounds like an oxymoron. Runtime doesn't matter to me, but I am cognizant of it. So right. like run, t- I, I'm not going to see a runtime and automatically be like, oh, this is going to be a slog. I'm going to go in hopeful. But at the same time, I know it's like I need to be mentally ready for this. 
Right. Yeah. Especially anything over two hours. You're like, all right, I got, and you got, you want to make sure you pay attention. You don't want to miss anything and stuff like that. So it's like, but it can be taxing those long movies, the, man, especially in the theater too. Oh, see theaters, I think are easier for me. It's, it's at home really? that I, really? I struggle because I just, there's more distractions for me at home True, and yeah. I can easily distract myself. Um, um, and then long movies can turn way longer when part of me watching at home because I'm a slave to the pause button. <laughs> that's true okay, if i'm yeah. gonna take my eyes off the screen at any time i'm gonna pause it because i don't want to miss anything yeah. um it actually used to drive me nuts when watching stuff with my brother growing up where he would leave the room and keep the show running and everything and then come back and then rewind it to where he met where he where he missed <laughs> no. it. I, was like, well, I just no. had to watch all this what the fuck i don't no. want to watch it again foul that is a foul right yeah there. so it's like but the thing i appreciate with the movie theater is the theater is just gonna do its thing. It's not gonna stop for you. It doesn't give a fuck. And uh, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I I feel like I I can pay attention better in a theater. Yeah, less distractions. You know, you're not you can't be on your well. You're not supposed to be on your phone at least. And you know, people aren't supposed to be talking. So that makes sense. I just I get wind like not winded, but after a while sitting in those th- seats there, I'm like I need to get up and stretch. So for me in the theater, unless it's a recliner, then I'm good for you know like an Avenger style movie. I'm I'm good. The recli- some of those the recliners are hit or miss for me. I like them quite a bit, but I will say there are sometimes where my body has just gotten used to the feeling of the re- of the recliners and I was like I sometimes wish the theaters had slightly less comfortable chairs cuz <laughs> like once I could again take a nap it, at this point know, it keeps me like prone it keeps me focused right <laughs> I, I i told my my wife Amanda that one in the next house when we actually build a true theater room not just a impressive living room i want to have a row of uh, i'm going to have um i want to have like risers and i want to have like a love seat you know so that way we can sit on there together and watch with the dogs but then i also want to i want one seat either in front or behind the risers that is a theater seat maybe even like a row of them because i want to sit in those but they're not necessarily the best like snuggling chairs but if i'm watching something by myself i kind of want to sit in just like in a movie theater chair Oh, yeah. I mean, home theater at some point would be just amazing because me and you both are, uh, like I said, we both love how movies sound. I mean, yeah, I want my movie to look good. I like buying 4Ks and high high quality movies, but I'd rather be I'd rather invest in a whole like a sound system to where it sounds good and it's immersive because that really is a selling point for me on movies. And I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure you're the same. Yeah. yeah I've like, seen your, I've seen your awesome setup there. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm the same way. Like I, I obviously like, I, I want them to sound good, but like, for example, I just had a friend of mine over my buddy, Kyle, who's a, uh, probably the biggest star Wars fan I've, I've ever known. And I said, Hey, you want to come over and watch star Wars? And he, he'd say yes at any point. But I was like, I actually have a, VHS tape of Star Wars from I told him from 1991, which is before oh, sure. they did the uh, um, at least the big restoration job. You know, like that they, CG stuff. Yeah, yeah. Where they added all. Yeah, it was prior to that. Um, nice. And I was like, and it has a uh, a Dolby stereo soundtrack, and I was teaching him everything. I've told everyone about stereo soundtracks, where stereo is actually surround sound when you have the right equipment. And this is like, then I took. I told him everything uh, uh, that you need that you'd want, ever want to know. That when, originally, when Star Wars first came out, it had three or four different sound mixes. It had a uh, it had a stereo track, 
Um, and they did that because not all theaters were were hooked up for surround sound. So they thought, well, right. if we had to play it back through just a stereo or mono system, it would sound pretty good. They had a, it was called the Baby Boom system, which was actually a four channel surround sound uh, setup, which was only for oh like the God. 70 millimeter print. So that was um, uh, for very select theaters. And then they had a mono soundtrack. And George Lucas, being the, I, I will say, genius that he was, knew that Star Wars was going to live and die on television. At least that's cause there was no idea, there was no thought of home media at the time. So he's right. like, well, yes, let's do a good stereo soundtrack for the select theaters that can do it. But there's going to be a lot of theaters in America that just have mono. So they went back in and did a brand, uh, when they when the film was coming out, a brand new mono soundtrack for Star Wars. When they could have just taken their stereo track and played it through one, George Lucas yeah. is like, I, wa- I want this mono soundtrack to sound good. And for the longest time, he said that was the optimal way to listen to Star Wars, was through the mono soundtrack. Hmm. Um, and then how stereo works is you have a left speaker, you have a right speaker. There's something in in, uh, in audio called in-phase audio and out-of-phase audio. If you ever listen to, um, to a pair of speakers, and if they are playing the same exact sound at the same time, it is called in-phase audio. And it tricks your brain into thinking it's coming from right in front of you. Yeah. Uh, so what if you have a system theaters had at the time and now receivers have it called ProLogic or something like that, it would send that in-phase audio to the center channel. Oh, okay. And there's then there's audio called out of phase. If you ever listen to speakers that aren't wired up correctly, it, you can't pinpoint where the sound's coming from. It just kind of sounds like it's coming from anywhere. That's out of phase audio, and it sends it to your surrounds. Oh, so you have to okay. have a. But you know, when when home media came out, most TVs were stereo. So these tapes would sound good on those, but if you had the appropriate equipment, you could listen to it the way it was heard in the theater. All this to nice. say that I had a tape with a Dolby surround, Dolby stereo surround soundtrack. So I was like, you should come over because this is probably the closest we're going to hear to what it sound like then. Because you watch it on Disney Plus now or anywhere on the, any of the DVDs, they just, it defaults to the 5.1 mix, which, you know, they went back into the stereo mix and redid it. And it's a, it's a great sounding mix, but... It's like, if you want to come over and see what it probably sounded like then. So we're watching it on VHS and it surprisingly sounded great. It looked like crap. <laughs> but it sounded I mean, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All this to say is a very roundabout point to say that in the end, audio won over picture. Yeah, audio won over VHS from, what'd you say, 91? 91. 91, and they wow. And um, I know... Um, Ben Burt did the sound. He did he he did somewhere in ninety five did a complete rehaul of the sound. So and I think Star Wars first came out on VHS in like eighty five or something. So I was like, well there's a good chance that this is a pretty close, you know, before too much was changed. Cause I know early on, whenever it came out on, on tape, um Ben Burt wanted to be involved and optimize it for whatever format's coming out and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, that's interesting that you still have the uh, the like the I mean those are I mean I guess that's the original VHS it's probably the you said it came out in eighty five ish so that's it's probably, about that so this and this yeah. one uh, copyright on is ninety one so okay but yeah that's crazy that that a you've had it for that long and b it still plays that's that's amazing <laughs> oh I haven't had it for that long I found it at uh Saint Vincent de Paul a uh, it's a like uh, like a Goodwill type store oh <laughs> I found snap it for like okay. ninety nine cents. Oh my God! Wow, I feel like that's a pretty good deal. I feel like because I, I used to have them too, and then uh, my parents just gave away all my VHS, and they gave away the uh, original trilogy I had with the box, and I was very sad because I was like, 
those were the ones without the crappy CG, and I, you know, I don't have a VHS player, but I mean, it would be nice to watch them without all the added in well, Muppet creatures. There are ways to do so if you Google oh, yeah? if you Google Star Wars Despecialized Edition. There is oh. it's a fan made project, and he doesn't oh. um, where there's like a whole like. 20 to 30 minute trailer on there where he talks about all the work he did to it where it's essentially using mixed because there was a short period of time where you could buy like dvds of the theatrical cuts and everything they essentially mixed multiple different sources and media together uh and did a lot of restoration work to recreate the theatrical cut of star wars Oh yes, I need that in my life. Um, and <laughs> I he, need that. He, he's he, he's not to to get around like cease and desist stuff. He gives it away for free. He doesn't. Oh, he doesn't okay. charge for it. He will not sell you like a DVD. You, it can be very complicated. You have to you um you know he'll give you all the files and everything, and then you have to figure out what to do with it. But it's right. it's there. Okay, I might have to look into that. Yeah, because I would like to be able to watch. I, it I found the... someone online who made a disc for me, so. <laughs> Oh, snap. Look at you. Uh, it's only at 720p, but with upscaling what it is, it actually not, doesn't look bad at all. I was going to say, yeah, that's probably not too bad. No. Nice. Yeah. I will have to look into that then. That's something I need to do. Because, yeah, I miss I miss having the original cut without all the, like I said, the Muppet creatures in the background. <laughs> that just looks so silly. Yeah, we want the original Muppet creatures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ones they work so hard on, not the ones that are added in in post. Was exactly. that, whose idea was that? Was that Lucas's idea to do? Like, yeah. It's, you know, oh he wanted God. to, you know, he claims that this, you know, he wanted to go for the vision that he had from the get-go. You know, wh- whether or not I, I agree or disagree, I have a, and don't get me wrong, I have a fondness for those versions. Those are the ones I grew up with. Yeah, um, that's true. But I w- have those versions available, but have the original ones available too. That's yeah, fine. have them both. Why can't we have both, man? Exactly. I know they're out there somewhere. So you had Jeez. mentioned having the Star Wars collection from when you were a kid. Yeah, the VHS. So, I so did. were you a collector even as a as a youngin? I mean, it was primarily Disney movies at that point for you know for VHS. But yeah, I, I had a whole bunch of Disney VHS. But I didn't really start going hardcore into collecting until honestly, honestly recently. You can see behind me that I've got that's all my Shout Factory over there exclusively, um, and that's all you know horror movies. So I didn't really start getting into it until recently. I'm almost at a thousand. So uh, Blu-rays total. A friend of mine named Josephine at when I knew I was going to be doing this episode. Um, because Nick was on a, Nick has been really busy. He's a, he's auditioning for a play. Plus he's a, you know, father of four works full time. He's a busy guy. Oh my God. We were, he his four kids. Yeah. Oh my God. But, um, so he's a busy guy. We were supposed to do an episode on vertigo and we were going to do two episodes, vertigo and Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Cause Nick had never seen Bill and Ted. I had never watched vertigo. So oh, nice. that was going to be our next episode, but you know, things got out of, out of hand. So I needed an episode. And I just said, hey, Austin, I have no topic. Just come talk to me for a little while. And uh, I asked a couple of friends if anyone had questions. And one of them was from my friend Josephine, which might have been said in jest, but I feel like it ties into interest. She asked, how many VHS tapes is too many? And I was hmm. like, that? Well, I don't know how to answer it necessarily with VHS tapes. I feel like that ties into the bigger topic of fandom and collecting because me and you are both physical media collectors i I collect vhs i collect vinyl i collect not as often but occasionally a dvd blu-rays 4k 
And yeah, if something is like locked onto DVD, I know I've had to I've had to buy some DVDs because there's no Blu-ray for it. Yeah, so I'm like, like all right, I'll, I, buy, I bought, I'll buy the DVD. I bought Small Soldiers, that Joe Dante film, recently on DVD because like it was like five bucks in the Blu-ray. I think it's starting to go out of print, and it was like thirty to thirty-five, and I was like already oh my god i just got that on blue recently because i pre-ordered it is it already going up that high oh, maybe this was before they re-released it then so i just oh, i just okay. bought at the time i was like ah, oh, maybe one day i'll upgrade this but i want small soldiers so i'm just gonna buy it yeah that's a great one i didn't realize it, it got put out again um yeah i don't know who did it but yeah i definitely i definitely got it recently because me and uh, the wife watched it i'll have to see maybe it was a i don't think it was kino I'll have to see who did it, but yeah, I'm pretty Send sure. Send me a it's picture a, of it later on because I might have to re- pick it up. But you know, occasionally yeah. I'll buy a DVD if something's locked on DVD or if it's out of print. Like I own the driver on DVD because that Twilight Time Blu-ray was so expensive. Now Kino's putting it out again. So, but I was like, I don't know when I'll get to own this again. So I'm just I'll buy the DVD. And I've, I'm on a lot of home theater forums. People are sometimes way too hard on DVDs. There are some bad looking DVDs, but yeah. I have some terrible looking Blu-rays. And I have some yeah, Blu-rays. I, mean, same. <laughs> I have Blu-rays that look or DVDs that look look better than Blu-rays. It, it happens. Um, so I'm not, you know, if that's my way to own it, that's what I'm going to do. But I guess so. You said you started collecting recently. How did that start? Oh, geez. I mean, you know, I've always bought. I, I mean, primarily I have horror movies. You know, that's just who I am. Yeah, but um, I've been forcing you to pick up cri- <laughs> pick up non horror criterions. I just I'll, I'll buy them for you for Christmas and make you own <laughs> hey, them. Hey, I'm st- I'm starting a little you know a little section up there with criterions. <laughs> you know, I do have um, I have I'm starting to build up my Wes Anderson. Yep. Well, uh, criterions and stuff like that, but I don't know. I, I remember the first Shout Factory I ever bought was Candyman. I didn't even know what Scream Factory was. This was probably four years ago. So was it when you um, first started? Had you started the podcast yet? That's pretty much when it really started. Yeah, because like we would do movies that weren't streaming or I couldn't find them anywhere. So you know, or I would just buy them. Like I don't want to rent it. It was like a seven dollar movie. So after I started just buying movies for the podcast, I looked into. I found out about Scream Factory, and then. That's when I started looking for those specifically, and then I found out about Arrow and Criteria, and I found out about all these like physical media, like people that pump all these movies out. And then recently, within the past year, I was like, I'm just gonna go for. I just want to have all the Screen Factory collector's editions because I started building them out with all the ones I wanted. But then they put out all this stuff that, like I've never heard of that just looks wacky and silly, like Lawnmower Man. That movie looks ridiculous. I've never seen it. I bought it. Um, and then I just started collecting and I just wanted to like, I just wanted to flesh out the libraries of Scream Factory. I'll probably never be able to do that with like Arrow or Criterion cause they have so oh, many, but Scream, yeah, Scream Factory. Um, even, um, I have a, my, I have uh, a buddy of mine. I don't, uh, his name is Josh. He, um, is trying to buy every single, uh, vinegar syndrome release. And I think he's getting close to having them all. Oh my God. Uh, I have maybe about 20, but that they have a huge library. Uh, he bought some off of me for oh my god a lot of money <laughs> not a lot you know you know decent markup props to that guy yeah there's some i'm not gonna try to get every one of but screen factory i'm like 12 away i think and then um the vestrons you know vestron only has like 24 so i'm like that's an easy like easy mm-hmm. i can get that no problem um but other than that it's just stuff that like looks interesting so i don't know i just got into it super hardcore this year because i want to just i want to watch new stuff like stuff i've never seen so, or stuff that i love so the boutique labels kind of helped you get into that side of things 
Definitely, yeah. I'd say Scream Factory was the biggest one that led to Arrow, Criterion, Vinegar Syndrome, so Vestron. When, so. when I got into collecting, and it was... I was just buying DVDs and then eventually Blu-rays. It wasn't necessarily collecting at one, in, in one point. I was just buying movies. Um, but I had always... I knew about Criterion. I knew about them since high school. I was in a screenwriting competition in high school that I placed pretty high in. And um, I don't remember how it came up, but like when you made it to like near the finals of the screenwriting competition, you spent a day with working professionals in the film industry in Milwaukee. Um, and they would kind of give you lessons and things to think about for your screenplays. And, and um, one of the uh, working professionals, I think he was actually, now that I'm thinking of it, one of my, my film professors, Tate Bunker, he had shown a clip from a movie called Eight and a Half, the Fellini film. And um, he had uh, shown his Criterion copy DVD. And it was the first time I heard about them. And he's like, Criterion, if they have that little C next to it, you could probably argue that it's one of the best films ever made. And I was like, what is this company? So I started, yeah. I knew, but I've heard about them in high school. And I actually started buying them their releases in high school. So wait, geez, how long have they been around then? They, because they've been around since Laserdisc. Holy shit! I don't know. I, I don't know. Been around I don't long. remember off the top of my head if they went by the Criterion. I think they went. I think they started Criterion on Laserdisc. I think they were doing VHS under. I'm sure you've seen the, the title pop up. Uh, Janus Films. That was their yeah. like, parent company, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh wow! And they were okay. releasing VHS tapes under that label. And then when when Laserdisc came out and they had the capability where you could do special editions with features, they they were doing Laserdiscs and. A lot of companies didn't see the, the licensing was completely different then. So like there's there's Criterion Laserdisc editions of like Wizard of Oz and Halloween and oh wow and it's kind of like Taxi Driver. It's kind of funny you go and buy like the Taxi Driver Blu-ray or even the 4K and like the Martin Scorsese commentary and I think the commentary with the screenwriter, which I can't think of his name at this moment, those are from the Criterion edition, the Criterion Laserdiscs. Wow. I don't know why I didn't. I, I thought they were not like new, but I know Scream Factory has been around since like 2012. But I didn't realize Criterion had been around for that like, long. That's so like, crazy. I was buying like Criterion discs, but like I, I would say, um, Scream Factory was a pretty big deal for me because they, they, I think they had been, they might have, they might have been around, um, for a little bit longer than I was collecting for them. But they were still a relatively new company. Um, and there, you know, at the time, like Arrow might have been around, but I don't think they were as big. Vinegar Syndrome wasn't around. I don't know if Kino was around. Scream Factory, at least for me, was one of the first where it felt like they're the criterion of horror. And yeah. I don't like. I don't know if I necessarily still feel that way about them. Not to say they don't put out good work, but I, I um, you know, in terms of. Um, presentation and everything but regardless you know i still love them as a company um that that really appealed to me especially because they were putting out like they were doing like unique artwork for films and they're putting things out like the burning and you know these these weird little films that i remember loving that or like sleepaway camp but and i was buying them when i could afford them but i went i remember the um 
the big one for me was it was still early on in my relationship with my now wife Amanda, but she bought me the Halloween 15 disc box set for a birthday present. Yes, that's a good wife <laughs> or a good girlfriend. And it's like <laughs> at the time, it's not in the like it's it, we've moved a couple times and it, the box is a little beat up, but I don't ever plan to sell it, so it's not a huge deal. Um, you know, so like there's sometimes I look at it, it's like, oh man, it's, it's had a little bit of wear and tear to it, but it's like, because I, I, I watched it a lot. Yeah, I actually just uh, picked that one up recently, um, and I was really that was like my last box set. I have every box set from them now, but that was the last one. It and it was hard to find, but once those four Ks came out, you know, Halloween one through five, that really kind of plummeted the uh, the price of that box set. So I was able to pick it up for a damn good deal. Um, but yeah, it's, I just the box sets that they do are so great. I'm I'm waiting for. Like it's rumored that they're gonna do, a, you know, Friday the Thirteenth at some point, but who knows they when? They just did Friday the Thirteenth. You mean Nightmare on Elm Street? Or sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street. God, Nightmare on Elm Street. I was say, you're behind, rumoring. Austin. Yeah, no, I have that one. That one's right. That one's right back there somewhere. But yeah, they. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for that Friday or the uh, Nightmare box set. That would be super cool um, because it's their tenth anniversary this year. So something. I feel like they're gonna do something big. I don't know. We'll have to see, but I'm hoping for another box set this year, or at least you know soon to come, because yeah. that would be but awesome. I know company like boutique labels like Criterion or or Scream Factory, Arrow, who has become one of my absolute favorites, Vinegar Syndrome. Um, they changed my collecting habit and made it into a little bit more of collecting. Because like I, I I I can't speak for you, but I also follow a lot of like movie collector pages, and. I'm not necessarily judging, but there's the times people will be like, look at my new haul. And they went to like the dollar store and just bought everything they can afford. It's like, oh, geez, I don't need to own everything. I don't I buy a lot less than I used to. I'm a lot more selective. Um, but like there's there's sometimes it's like people are like I've got 10,000 movies. And it's like, are you just buying everything? Like yeah, if that's if buying... that's your prerogative, fantastic. Because <laughs> like I'm definitely yeah. someone who says people should definitely own physical media, but I my collecting has changed quite a bit because now I don't just buy something to to own it. Um, well, I do, but like I, I I guess I do a fewer blind buys, or sometimes I'm like, do I need to own this, or can I just stream this? How often am I gonna want to watch this? But then right. you know I'm not gonna lie. Then there's also movies I buy that like I don't. You know, uh, there's a a, a, um, a Belgian movie called uh, Jean Dielman that me and my wife both love. It's a four-hour movie. Holy crap. And we watched it <laughs> once, and it's like each scene is one angle, essentially. Like, they never cut the camera, and it was captivating. It's like, this movie is incredible. We'll probably... I don't know when we'd ever want to watch it again, but I need to own it. So there's sometimes where, like, I want to buy something with no intention of ever watching it again because I feel like I have to own it. Yeah. So wait, did uh, one of the boutique labels put that Criterion. out or what, what, Criterion? What's it called it's again? It's called Jean Dielman. You have to send me a picture of that one. What we'll the swap pictures later of? I don't. Of, own, uh, I don't that. own that one yet. I was, I was waiting for a oh, Criterion okay. sale, but there's one that I do want to buy. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um. I'm pretty much the only. That's like the only thing I'm doing with Screen Factory. Once I complete that, like that's it. I'm done. I'll just keep up with them. Um. But other than that, I've been getting, so I've been getting selective too. Do you with buy other everything stuff. that they put out, or just their collectors editions? Uh, just collector's editions. God, no, I can't do the whole cat, the whole catalog. Cause they have probably, f I think four or 500 non collector's editions. So I do have plenty of non collector's editions, but th those are movies that like, I like 
or I haven't seen that I've heard are good and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like there's been a couple blind buys, but yeah, I'm just trying to get all the collector's editions and then I don't know, I'll be satisfied. And then same thing with Vestron because they put out that weird stuff that I've, I've half the Vestrons I have never heard of them. They just look fun and I have no idea what they are. So I like to blind buy and just, uh, and just, you know, support. I bought, I, I blind buy a lot of Vestrons just because they're one of the few boutique labels that are still at Walmart. <laughs> That's true, it's, yeah, and, and it's, uh, like, it's a line. They're like twelve or fifteen bucks. They they've gone down in price. Cheap. They used to be like yeah. thirty, uh, or um, so I was like kind of avoiding them. But now that they're like less than twenty bucks, I'm like, yeah, I'll buy Blade of Steel or whatever it is with yeah, and you know, I still haven't watched it, but it's like I will eventually. Yeah, I've just got a couple of uh, Dementia Thirteen. Uh, I bought that one. I have it on so many shitty poor copies because it, it, it was out of print or not out of print. It was like public domain. So like it was on like every one of those like 50 horror films by Mill Creek or whatever. Oh, jeez. Uh, so I had it in so many shitty copies and I've never been able to sit down and finish watching it because of how bad it always looked. Oh, my God. So it's like I've never watched it, but I love Francis Ford Coppola. So it's like I'll, I'll just blind buy that one. Yeah, that one I got for ten bucks the other day on Amazon. I was like, you can't beat that for ten bucks with the slipcover, brand new. Hell I'll yeah. take a chance on a lot of things I'll... for ten bucks. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's it's not gonna hurt anything. Ten bucks. Uh, I've never heard of it, but uh, you know I know the people behind it. I'm like, I'll I'll, ta I'll take a gamble on that. Yeah, that's no big deal. Yeah, actually, I just got. Hold on, where to go? I got a couple in recently. Actually, well, this this came in a while ago, but this is one of the uh most recent 4Ks from Scream Factory. I don't know if you've ever seen Alligator. I have oh not, my no. god. Oh my god. We just did uh, our podcast uh, on this uh recently. It is just it is one of the wildest movies I've seen. 1980. It is so goddamn good. I did not expect it to be that good. I loved it. And the 4K transfer on this, one of the best I've seen for a movie that's 42 years old. It is magnificent. It is so well done. Audio mix isn't that great, but um, oh, it's a mono mix. Like, yeah, so it's not terrible, but it's you know it's not great. But that picture, oh my god, I like it's it's crazy because like the dark scenes when they're in the uh, sewers and stuff like that. Usually you get a lot of grain uh, when it's super dark. It's it's like so crisp. I was like, how is this possible? So I, I love that Screen Factory is putting in the hours to uh, make their 4Ks look really good because it, it was. I was quite impressed with that. Yeah, I was. I've been really impressed. I haven't. I don't own a lot of their 4K stuff but i do own a couple of the halloween ones and i've been very pleased with how those look because like i've owned every version of the original halloween um <laughs> i probably have ever come across um at one point or another and um it's definitely the definitive looking version that i that i have seen um so i'm um, yeah <clears throat> How'd the sound mix sound on your uh, on your system? Uh, it sounded great. Uh, the version that they've been putting on this, um, uh, if, I might be misremembering. The one they've been putting on the the more recent Halloween discs is the is the redone um, surround sound mix, which is a surprisingly good surround sound mix. There are times, so sometimes when you're taking a film that was originally on mono and you're expanding it to surround sound, you have to take some liberties. There's just, so like there's sometimes re-recorded sounds or things from the sound libraries. The one that always catches me is at the beginning when uh, Loomis and uh, Marion Crane are driving. That, th that thunder is not from the movie. Really? Mill Creek's discs for Ultraman do the same thing. Most most of it is on is on hmm. mono, but when they have explosions, they have newly added explosions. And that's kind of cool because it, it doesn't sound terrible, but you can tell <laughs> that they don't feel like they came from the source. Uh, and there's always a little bit of, of that, like um, um, 
when they redid the um, surround sound for Psycho, they redid the the, the shower noises. <clears throat> My I wit, and I'd have to double check. Um, I don't have I don't have unfortunately the Halloween I don't have Halloween in front of me. Um, for the longest time, you they would put a mono soundtrack on there, but it was a downmixed version of the five or seven point one soundtrack. So they would take the oh. newly done soundtrack and down mix it to mono. And I was like, I'd rather That's you just weird. not put a mono soundtrack on it than do that. Yeah. I think and I'd have to double check, I feel like the new 4K Scream Factory might be the only one with the original theatrical mono soundtrack on it. So when I watched yeah. it, because I think I had just gotten some like a, a new subwoofer or something, I wanted to watch in surround sound. Uh, but a lot of times, I I try to choose the original um, or as close to what I can get as the to the original sound mix as possible. Um, there are exceptions, or there's sometimes where I just want to listen to the surround sound mix, like um, Jaws, for example. It was originally in mono. The surround sound mix is incredible, though, especially because you get the music in stereo. But yeah. a lot of times, I will choose the original. So, like, if I can choose between, you know, newly done five point one mix or the original mono, I'll, sometimes a lot of times I'll choose that original mono because some t- more speakers doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make the audio better. If you have a really nice right. fidelity, uh, have a really nice fidelity to your mono soundtrack, they can sound incredible. Well, didn't you have an issue too with uh, what was it, Halloween three? When you were trying to do the uh, the Atmos track, you had some weird like, yeah, thing and going that on. That was strange, and because a lot of times I'll choose an Atmos track, um, just because, and maybe it's just in my mind. Uh, I sometimes feel like it adds a little bit more depth or height, even though I don't have mo- mo- uh, Atmos speakers. Maybe it's just my brain, um, but. Um, but if anything, it's just you know going to downmix those extra speakers into what's available. So I thought, you know, right, um, sounds fuller at least. Or yeah, something. yeah. Uh, sometimes I will <laughs> choose specifically the five point one option if there is one. But a lot of times they'll, they'll they won't have another option. Uh, yeah. And I think in this case it was they have um, they have the Atmos track or they have the original mono track. So if I wanted multi stereo multi speakers, I have to choose the Atmos track. And I and to me it sounded it sounded strange. I've asked uh, I reached out to Scream Factory. They said it didn't sound off. Uh, I had some friends of mine who do physical media reviews who have way nicer systems than me and they didn't notice it. So it could just be, maybe it's a bad disc. Maybe it's just the way that that one's mixed and I didn't notice it. Or maybe it is one of the very rare occasions of, um, down mixing from Atmos to surround to 5.1 that changed the, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But something was just off though, but it sounded weird to me. No one else has complained about no one else has even mentioned it. So, you know, (laughs) It is funny though, just like I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of uh, blue-ray.com's reviews. It's, I think sometimes they're just a little rudimentary. Um, but they, they, I remember what it stuck out to me was I, they're like, it's a very front heavy soundtrack. It's like, not for me. <laughs> it's all in the back for me. <laughs> it's not as good as ticks. Ticks. Oh, God. You so <laughs> going back to that episode. Oh my god! Did you had you seen it before you bought no. it? I can't remember. No. Okay. Did you have you watched oh, it? Oh, I, since I, I we reviewed did... it on that episode. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Dicks. 
God, that's such a good one. I, I keep wanting to buy that 4K, but oh my God, it's still like $35. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I want just it. Just treat yourself. Just, just do it. I like that mentality. <laughs> that's what I tell my wife. She's like, I want to get this. I'm like, do it. Get it. I'm the same way. Like, well, me and my wife will be looking around. And she loves. She collects plants. That's her big thing. And she and she'll be looking at one. She's I'll be like, ah, just get it. And she's like, but it's like sixty dollars. Like, you just let me get two movies to buy the fucking plant. <laughs> just, just, just do it. Yeah. So. Oh my goodness. So I guess, um, kind of routing back a little bit. So. Back to Josephine's questions of how many is too many. I I don't know if I have an answer for that because like I don't necessarily see myself stopping my collection there are times where if i start running out of space i'll go through and be like okay do i need this do i want this um and i've been trying to be a little bit more it's hard because i don't buy a lot of um blind i don't do, it's not a lot of blind film but blind buy so if i get so if i buy something and i didn't like it you know i would try to flip it but now since i'm being a little more selective um that starts becoming the issue is you know what do you do when you run out of space and is there too many? And, you know, yeah, I don't spend a lot of time rewatching, but I, I, I don't want to remove the chance to do so. Just like I buy a lot of movies I haven't even watched yet. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I have plenty of those. I got plenty of movies I've bought and just haven't had the time to watch yet. But uh, I don't know. I'd say for that question, if you have the space and you have the money and it's not hurting anything, I go for it. There's never, I don't think there's ever too many in my opinion, honestly. It's just a matter of, like I said, how much space, uh, time, and, and money you have. But if you want to go for it, just go for it. Especially if you're a collector and you want to have more. It, it's, you know, I'd say. It's honestly my dream to, when I have my future house, if space allows. Like, I'm just thinking, like, if I could have anything I ever wanted type deal, I would have the theater. I'd have my little theater, and I even have it planned. I'd want, like, a tiny little marquee and, like, a fake little ticket booth. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, uh, and do it, like, themed like an old movie house. But then on the out, like, in, in the outside the theater, I my dream is to have, like, a little video store set up with, like... Oh, you're a dude. You're in my head. That's like, same, with dude. With, like, the little the counter and, a you know... Yes. Fake cash register and, you know, all that realistically that that would take a lot of space and you know more than likely my movies will go into the movie room but like if i could have it any way i wanted there would you know the whole appeal is you'd in my mind it's also in a basement you'd walk down the stairs into into shameless video yes and um you would you know find what movie you want to want to watch and then you'd go to the little ticket booth and you'd go into the theater and you'd watch it there there's a guy I follow on TikTok that has like a little basement, uh, little video store. And it's just like, you know, like the Blockbuster. He's got videos on the wall. He's got the little racks in the middle that are about, you know, five, six feet tall. He's got like little candy and treats underneath the uh, little uh, counter there. And then he has a movie room. Yeah. And I'm like, goals. Like, I, I want to have that like is, a popcorn machine. Goals. I want like a staff picks yeah. option where like me and, me and Amanda <laughs> will have like our picks. Um, I want to, I don't do it now because. <clears throat> alphabetical i think it's just far easier but if i had like yeah. this space i would do it by genre yeah or i would exactly you know, or yeah. i would choose like this is the director wall and yeah that would be amazing that is that is, that is the, literally what i was thinking at the same time though <laughs> like to make that dream a reality i would need far more movies than i actually have well don't you have like oh, you've got a few thousand right no like i, I, I feel no? like okay if i count the actual amount of discs i have 
the amount of discs I have is is relatively small. It's like thirteen hundred. That's still a lot. It though. is. It, it don't get me wrong. It is. <laughs> but I feel like in my mind, a, a movie st- like a video store, you have far more. But I feel like if we were just you know looking at you know straight up just how many movies, I would say it's probably closer to like eighteen hundred. But that's Holy that's crap. like multi-movie sets and shit like that yeah so wow that would be a solid start to a little movie room for i just sure. know in that my mind those... if i sorted them by like comedy there'd probably be like 40 <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah for me a horror would take up like an entire wall and then i'd have like action no, there's like crazy. seven movies granted i'm i'm using that list i made on letterboxd and to to kind of judge this out of like 16 to 1800 movies give or take 550 of them are horror so it's like that's not as big of a margin as i was expecting yeah that's a lot holy cow that's about it's about a third almost so it's like oh yeah the other genres take up the rest of it like that's you know i guess it makes me feel good that i have so much variety yeah you definitely have more variety than me i I probably have i don't know i'm working on getting you some of that variety yeah, I definitely need more variety in my life. I started, I don't know, I just got so... Because, like, you know, for for me, horror was never really in my household. And then I got unleashed into the wild on yeah, my own. And I was that. like... Yeah, so I just went super hardcore into horror movies, because which wasn't a thing in my household. Um, so I think that's why I do... Like, this entire podcast room is just completely filled with horror stuff. And I have m- way more horror movies than anything. It's just been a passion of mine so, for so long. So horror so. movies used to scare me so much as a kid that I couldn't even be around them. So when I got to the age where the, I realized they were, my, my fascination was outweighed my, my the potential of getting scared, Like I just also, like you, just went ham into it. Um, and actually, Halloween was the one that really, like blew me away when i when i bought that i bought it on a dvd from target and and it was like i remember like n- not being sure like was this gonna scare me or whatever and and i made it through it and it didn't it didn't like there's things that made me jump or whatever but it wasn't like what i thought it was gonna be and it's like oh shit this is phenomenal and and i guess i just kind of went hard into it Another one was oh. Alien and Aliens. I watched those when I was super mm-hmm. young. I didn't see Alien until college. Oh, my God. That was one of like the first horror movies I could remember seeing it, like, I don't know, like before I was 10. <laughs> like I watched Alien and Aliens at my friend's house from church. I don't know why his mom let us watch that. Scared the daylights out of us. E.T.'s an alien. I'm sure it's Yeah, I'm, Right? Yeah. She had no idea what she was doing. She was in the other room cooking or something. I was like, oh, my God. See, you had mentioned the PG-13 thing. Uh, that that the the two things on um, horror and just film pages in general that annoy the shit out of me or when people are like all oh, hollywood ever does is remakes it's like remakes and sequels it's like there's a lot of shit out there right now that's not you're just not cho- you're just not seeking it out or go- or paying to see it two <laughs> when people are like oh it's pg-13 it must be terrible ah oh, fuck False. you there's a lot of good people False. hell um Drag me to hell. It's R-rated cut is significantly worse than its PG-13. PG-13 cut is is terrifying. It's seriously like it's so good. Um, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of another good PG-13 horror movie. I, they're all I'm blanking right now. I know they're out there. The Ring is one of them. Drag me to hell. Tremors is a PG-13. Oh, Tremors is great. Film. I mean, now we're talking 80s, but you know, Poltergeist that was PG before they had the PG-13 rating. Happy Death Day was PG-13. Was it really? 
According to this, really? Quiet Place apparently is PG-13. Monster Squad is PG-13. That's a great movie. The Mummy is PG-13. Split is PG-13. Oh, God. oh no, I'm thinking Splice. Uh, Arachnophobia is PG-13. <laughs> yes. That fucked me up as a yes, kid. Yes, I love that movie. There's no spider here. But I will hunt down the alleged arachnid and spread some to kingdom come. Oh, uh, my God. The Sixth Sense is PG-13. Granted, I'm just going off of what Google's telling me, so that's all I've got to go <laughs> off of. Um, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie is PG-13. As you said, The Ring, you have... Um, I said I would have said Monster Squad. Um, oh, yeah. Sixth Sense is PG-13. What the fuck? I know. Drag me to hell. PG-13, yeah. I think is is great. Ouija, Origin of Evil, which is significantly better oh, than Insidious, the original one. Oh, Insidious, that's a PG-13, PG-13, isn't it? I'm not too sure. Pretty sure Insidious is PG-13. Insidious, uh, what are you? Yeah, PG-13, yeah. That's a great one. That is a freaking great horror movie. Yeah, yeah there's... there's. So pl- like, I mean, yeah. T- I mean, some... Yes, if you see PG-13, it might not... I'm not saying it's not going to be good, but I mean... To, you know, I prefer our rating, but like, there's plenty of PG-13 horror movies that are good. They're, they are yeah, out like there. I said, I'm, I, I'm impressed by just how many I'm seeing. Right. Yeah. There's more. There's more than you think. I think uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, it's not really a horror movie. It's more sci-fi than anything. But I, I you know, I, I think that one's PG-13 or maybe even PG. But that's another great one. They're out there. You just have to seek them out, you know, and be open-minded. Mm-hmm. Just because it's PG-13. Yeah. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, PG-13. That's a great '80s horror movie. Yeah. Sci-fi horror movie. I love that one. So yeah, they're out there. Just got to look. What is that? One? Yeah. So I, I think, it, um, so a buddy of mine, he wanted me to talk about, um, and I figured we could save this to the end because I don't know how much I'm, how much I'm going to have to say about it, but he wanted me to talk about editing in, in films and kind of how I, I'm not necessarily a film editor, but I have done quite a bit of video editing. I'm actually cutting a music video right now. Um, and he wanted me to talk about the, um, you know, kind of what I look for in a well-edited film. Okay. And I don't really know if I have a whole lot to say, but I, fi- so I figured I'd save it to the end. Um, and I figured we could talk about a couple of physical media things that we've watched recently. Okay. And then I'll save, uh, Steven's topic about editing to the end. Cause it's kind of a, such a hard subjective topic to talk about but I, I can definitely talk about what i like i actually just bought all these psychos so like psycho one psycho two or not psycho one sorry psycho two three and four um on screen factory ah that's why yeah and that's why you're able to sell me psycho yes because i had an extra copy but i actually watched all of those recently and we talked about this, I think, through text. That is a that is a movie that I didn't even know had three sequels, and they are all shockingly good. I think two's they're all solid. Yeah. Like he, the worst one is still better than a lot of exactly. Other like the second one is definitely my favorite. That is so well done. Two that that shovel in the end. Yeah. Do you want a toasted cheese sandwich? Bam. Bam! Yeah, like I was so shocked at how good Psycho 2 was. Uh, and then 3 was good as well. 4 was probably my least favorite, but they're they're still all just... 4 was the uh, was the, the radio host one, I right? think Yeah, 4 was the radio host. And that was still mm-hmm. like a good... I like the uh, story about how it was being told. It was just a little... It was a little silly, but... I think it might have been a made-for-TV movie. I think it was. Okay. I think that was the one that... Uh, I think Garris, Mick Garris I think did four because I think Perkins did three and Mick Garris did four. 
But those are three movies I bought recently from Screen Factory that I just had no idea that they'd be that good. And I was solidly impressed it, with all three. It's a very solid it franchise. It really is. And, and honestly, what makes it work is the fact that Anthony Perkins sticks with the franchise and he is so involved. Yeah. You're sure you won't have a sandwich? Pardon? So my mom actually commented she absolutely loves that loves scene. That, fu- that shovel scene. Uh, we talk about it all the time. It's a solid movie. It's it's something that we did not need. We did not need three sequels, but they did them. They did them so well, and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. Oh, and what works is they, it really feels like they're continuing Norman's story. Yeah. You know, like th- there was that trend for a while where they do a sequel, and they would just remake the first mm-hmm. film. With just different characters, like I love Friday the Thirteenth. They're that's their their shit right there. It's just remaking the first film over yeah. and over again. Uh, but like Psycho, just it felt like one because so much time had passed before making Psycho two. I think it was twenty two years or something like that. So it's like you can't tell me that like people were like knocking down the walls to see like we want a Psycho but sequel. So it. someone just really. <laughs> You know, I, I want. I need to watch the special features on Scream Factory. Scream Factory just to see if they if they have a document. I will say, Scream Factory is always going to be a love of mine because they were the first company that instead of just giving me random interviews, put those interviews together and made it into a documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I could listen to a forty-minute interview with one person, or why don't you cut it together with some other stuff and make it into a documentary? They do. They That's do a lot that, easier yeah. for me to swallow sometimes. Uh, I'm curious if there's one on there. to figure out why this film came to existence so far after i have to assume because i don't imagine like i said people were like it was a huge money maker 22 years later maybe it was getting some you know repertory screen screening so someone just must have really had a story to tell. yes and it i don't know i don't know the story i don't know either and I'd, I'd actually like to know as well because yeah it, it literally follows him getting out of like the psychiatric ward 22 years later and it's like it's it's just it's just yeah it's like who who had the idea to do this and you know like what what was this what was the driving force behind doing it it's i would love to know that and uh, I, I still love that like like Anthony Perkins, when he made three, had just seen the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple and liked it so much that he hired their composer to do the music. Is that? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's he awesome. Liked the, he liked Blood Simple so much that he hired Carter Burwell, who's one of my all-time favorite composers, to do the music. That's for that awesome. Movie. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what I watched recently, physical media-wise. So I think that's I think that's all I have. I'm trying to look at my stuff back there. I've bought so much stuff, but uh, that that's the first thing that came to mind was those psycho movies. I I, right. I highly recommend those. Well, these are gonna. This is all gonna be part of my. Um, uh, these are reviews that I need to do for uh, sponsors of the show. So I'm gonna do two, maybe a third, but I'm gonna do two for sure. First one we're gonna talk about because it's definitely gonna cr- ruffle some feathers. First and foremost, I am talking about Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> Thank you guys. You're a great crowd. Okay, girls, we need the lane now. And your shoes. Oh no! Oh, don't hate me! Don't hate me! I'm sorry. <laughs> so back of the so this so Josie and the Pussycats put out by my good friends over at Mill Creek. Um, I believe Sony Pictures put this out originally. Mill Creek's doing the budget version of it. Back of the box says hot newcomers Josie, played by Rachel Lee Cook, Melody, played by Tara Reid, and Val, played by the ever wonderful Rosario Dawson, are three small town musicians with big dreams but little future. Then fate gives the Pussycats the chance of a lifetime when band manager Wyatt, played by Alan Cumming, of Mega Records signs them overnight to an awesome recording contract. 
Suddenly, Josie and the Pussycats are living life in the fast lane with sold-out concerts, a number one single, and global stardom. But it's not all limousines and private jets. The Pussycats soon discover they're being played like pawns in an evil plot by the record label's maniacal CEO, Fiona, played by the phenomenal Parker Posey, to control the youth of America. For the 20th anniversary, the story of the all-girl rock band that became a national sensation is on Blu-ray and packed with special features, which is unique sometimes for Mill Creek. Me and you have differing opinions on the movie itself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Josie and the Pussycats is... As, is what they didn't say in the back of the box is loosely based on characters from originally from the Archie comics. Um, and you know this, um, well, one, if you're a nerd and know the Archie comics, but they also live in Riverdale. Um, they are, as I said, a, f- a fledgling rock band who get, end up getting signed up, signed with mega records after their, uh, the boy band. That was the biggest sensation on the planet all get killed. And they, you know, they find out that they're, uh, the, Capitalist messages are being added subliminally to their music. Um, I actually really like this movie. Um, I remember grow. I remember this film growing up. I didn't really watch it a whole lot, but I had seen it. But what I found so endearing about the film, and one of the reasons I wanted to see it, is because there is actually a really rabid cult following behind the movie. Um, I imagine it's you know it's partially generational, um, but. This movie has a lot more going on it than I remember it being. Like, you know, it's a movie that in the end is it's in for me, and I'm gonna give you a second to kind of give your opinion, Austin. <laughs> where uh, it, the so first off, first off, I actually uh, um, the directors they they made another movie I, I love called Can't Hardly Wait, and they also wrote a very Brady sequel, which I also <laughs> love. That really, movie. amazing. Yes. Um, okay, but like. What? This movie works because there's way more adult jokes than I would have ever caught as a kid. I think they make multiple references to butt sex. Oh, <laughs> like the boy band, like uh, the, the song's called Backdoor Love. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I wasn't expecting just how funny the movie is for me. Uh, and it could have just been the mood that I was in when I was watching it. But so many of the jokes landed really well for me. I actually really like movies that spoof uh, uh, pop singers and the music industry. Um, I kind of love the ham-fisted commentary on consumerism, <laughs> and it's an optimistic movie in the end about friendship. Yeah, and the I think the cast is great. The songs are really catchy. So. Oh, the cast is um, phenomenal. Um, so to be fair, I watched this because I'm looking on Letterbox here. This was watched by me June twenty second, two thousand nineteen. So this was six months into me like reviewing movies and uh, like rating them. It's also like right into the pandemic. No, no, 2019. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's th- three yeah. years ago. Um, and this is one of the movies my wife, uh, you know, she wanted to watch. And I just, I, I think it's because I need, I need to rewatch because I hated it. Um, I, I don't think I understood it either because I was talking to Gabby about this after we had our conversation and she just kind of laid it out for me about the whole consumerism thing and stuff like that. And I was, I didn't really guess get that or pick it up. 
Um, so I need to watch this with fresh eyes because yeah, I, I gave it a horrible rating because I was not a fan of it. But like I said, this was, this was very early on into me reviewing movies and using Letterboxd and rating things and anything from 2019, I really need to just like give a rewatch with fresh <laughs> eyes because it has a 3.5 out of five. So I'm missing something. Um, and I need to re I need to redo it. I think I'll buy that Mill Creek that just came out and uh, give it a rewatch because it's, it's pretty it's pretty it's a pretty cheap mill creek release yeah which is never a bad thing yeah so i think that's one like i said i gave it a, i'm not even going to give you the rating it's a bad rating you know it i don't want to say because i'm embarrassed but uh and it's and it doesn't make sense to, and i'm thinking i'm thinking about this now the cast is great i remember enjoying the songs so i'm not sure if i was just maybe i was in a sour mood that day or something or maybe it wasn't in the right mindset but i need to give this movie another chance because you like it my wife likes it the internet likes it so that's something I need to uh, rewatch as well. So Gabby's got good taste. She has phenomenal taste. She has put on so many movies for me that I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to watch this. It sounds stupid. And then I end up like giving it four stars. So she has very, very good taste. I will give her that. She we'll need to get her on the show at some point. Yeah, dude, she would love to talk about all all the all the like the cult stuff she's shown me that I've never even heard of before. She she What's the best movie she's shown you? Who off the top of your head? Um I know it's uh, a big movie that I, but uh, like you've got mail. I've never seen it, and she wanted to show it to me. That um, Pretty in Pink. It's a delightful movie. It's, yeah, she's. It's a lot of rom coms that she shows me. Um, another one is Muriel. Oh, me and my wife. Me and my wife love rom coms. Yeah, I, I didn't like it until she started showing me all these good ones. Um, Sliding Doors. That's another good one that she showed that one me. I don't know. Um, I think that's with Gwyneth Paltrow, I believe. Um, so yeah, she shows me all these rom coms I've just never heard of, and I'm like, all right. Um, another one was Auntie Mame. That was a that was a great movie. A bit long for me, but that was a great movie. So she shows yeah. me all these ones. I'm like, I've never heard of these. Let's let's give it a go. So, but you know what else is really funny about Josie and the Pussycats? It was shot by Matthew Liebatique, who shot Requiem for a Dream. What? Like what? With the like yes. the DP? Yep. What? Okay. So. Uh, yeah, so originally I was gonna record I was gonna record my stuff about Josie and the Pussycats for TikTok. So I actually have some of my information written already. So I'll just read to you what I had written about the audio, okay. the picture and the audio for Mill Creek. I said Matt, Josie and the Pussycats was shot by Matthew Liebatique. I might be mispronouncing that. In uh, in between Requiem for a Dream and Phone Booth. Um, Liebatique shot the film on 35mm using spherical lenses in a 1.66 to 1 frame and was matted to fit the intended 1.85 to 1 theatrical ratio. The film has a very distinct visual style and is rather contrasty with the occasional blown out highlights. While I don't have anything to compare it to, knowing the look of other films from 2001, I do believe this is an intentional look. The transfer on, the, on this disc was probably supplied by Universal to Mill Creek, who released the film years ago. Uh, and But the biggest thing is compression is the enemy. Mill Creek's disc features solid black levels and good detail on clothing, skin, and hair, but definitely suffer, suffers from strong compression grain, which is no, most notable in darker scenes, despite actually having pretty good black levels. It is worth noting that while I personally felt the black levels were solid, there were times where they felt a bit crushed, but I can comment uh, but I cannot comment as to whether or not that's an issue with the transfer or a stylistic choice that comes with the film's naturally contrasty look. But ultimately, you know, I've reviewed a lot of Mill Creek stuff. They are one of the sponsors to the show. 
And but being just because they're a sponsor does not mean I'm necessarily always going to give them good write-ups. I am sometimes a little hard on them. Uh, but this is a really good-looking disc. But for you fellow audio people out there, this is a great sounding disc. This is a sonic treat. It has a DTS HD Master 5.1 sound mix. I was hoping, um, uh, I was at a high hope about the movie because it obviously is about a music group. Uh, dialogue, and it, it lived up to it. Dialogue is very clear and nicely separated from the music and sound effects. There's also some really nice surround activity with sound effects, atmospheric sound, and of course, music. There's also some really great movement of sound. And, um, you know, I, I'll sometimes give Mill Creek uh, some lower ratings for picture quality. But they usually impress me quite a bit with their sound. Hmm, okay. Yeah. yeah. And and so I think it's a good disc for AV nerds, but I also like that it has special features. Some t- Milk Creek usually does bare bones releases. They I don't think it's anything new necessarily, but it's all the stuff that was on the previous releases. Nice. So if you do like Joe's in the Pussycats and you want to listen to a commentary with directors Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfront, it's on here. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Oh my God! I I highly recommend Joe's in the Pussycats. You know, it's it's got the same kind of goofy cult following that something like Spice World has. And I just you know, if anyone out there is a fan of the TV show Barry, to quote Noho Hank, that's just nice. I've never seen Barry. That's the one with uh, Bill Hader, right? Bill Hader, yeah, he plays yeah, a serial killer or something. New season comes out soon. You got to catch up. Whoa, where's it streaming? HBO Max. Oh, boo! Yeah. Okay. Cool. I have and, that. and each season's only like eight episodes, so it's a very quick, and they're only a half hour each. Oh, gee, it's like that's a, that's like a day. I think there might be one or two episodes that's like forty-five to an hour, like a special. But for the most part, they stick pretty close to thirty, thirty-five. Okay, minutes. I actually just heard about that the other day. I don't know how I've where I've been living under a rock, I guess, but I just heard about that two days ago or something like that. I was like, "What the hell is this?" So yeah, it's on my list to watch for sure. And then one other thing that I've got, I was going to talk about Magnum PI, but I might save that one. So instead, I'm going to. Talk about now something from my good friends over at Arrow Video. I have a movie called To Sleep So As to Dream. Hmm. This actually might appeal to you uh, as a as a movie nerd. Okay. Two private detectives hunt for an actress for an actress trapped within the reel of a silent ninja film in the dreamlike debut of Kaizo Hayashi, a magical double-handed cinephilic homage to the movie worlds of the 1910s and 1950s. Okay. When Private Eye Otsuka, I'm going to mispronounce these names, (laughs) and his sidekick Kobayashi are approached by an aged former actress, Madame Cherry Blossom, to go in search of her kidnapped daughter bellflower their investigations lead them to the studios of the mysterious m path company where utsuka has a strange vision in which he comes face to face with the beautiful star of a 1950 chanbara film that appears to have no ending from then on things begin to get a little strange among the most impressive and critically regarded Japanese films of the 1980s, To Sleep So As To Dream finally makes its home video debut outside of Japan in a brand new restoration supervised by the director himself. Drifting between illusion and illusion is chock full of references to Japan's rich cinematic heritage and features cameos from a host of veteran talent and Baroque sets created by Takeo Kimura, the Nikitsatsu art designer fondly remembered for his flamboyant work within the Saijin Suzuki in the 1960s. I probably mispronounced all of those words, but I did my best. <laughs> so th- this is this is a strange film, and I mean that in the best possible way. 
Um, I watched it on a Sunday afternoon because I thought, okay, it's going to be a foreign film. I know it's going to be a little more of an art house experimental film. I want to make sure I'm focused. I made a cup of coffee, I believe. Me and my wife, we sat and watched it on a Sunday afternoon. And it's very David Lynch-like if you are a, a, a fan of David Lynch's work. Uh, so much so that like there's just weird idiosyncrasies that the characters have like the the lead detective he's just obsessed with eggs he's always eating hard-boiled eggs he always has has them in his pockets like honestly if you were to if you were to like remake this film with with kyle mclaughlin it would feel like an episode of twin peaks okay um and but that's even that's kind of underselling it a little bit it's just a really interesting film and what i like so much about it so it's very inspired off of uh, Japanese films from the 1910s and 1950s, which I'm not an expert on. But what I find really interesting is it's very sparse when it comes to its dialogue. Um, and uh, a lot of it is actually told through title cards that come up like in old silent films. Like in the, like in the long- trailer? Yeah. Oh, okay. They'll go long passages where there's no talking. Hmm. You'll just see... You'll just see but they'll be moving their mouth and then title cards will come up. But then occasionally we'll have scenes of people talking. It's very select sounds. Like when the movie begins, you are introduced to the samurai film that they've shown a couple clips from. And you all you hear is the sound of a projector. And that's it. Hmm. And then when you first introduce to our two leads, it's absolutely silent. Hmm. There's no sound until the sound of a phone comes off. Ooh, phone goes off. And then like... Uh, his assistant picks up the phone and is talking and you don't hear anything, but a title card comes up. So they use sound very selectively and they have this really gorgeous score that once again is used very selectively. So it's definitely a movie that you need to be in the right headspace to watch because it is very dreamlike. Um, But I've not stopped thinking about it since I've watched it. And I... If this if if Arrow wanted to release this film, it'd, it'd be a shoe in for a Criterion. Really? Yes. Huh. I uh, I can tell you, I, I'm very intrigued just by the the short trailer that played. Um, it's also only 81 minutes, so that uh, this just keeps getting better, and yeah. it's got a 3.8 out of five on Letterboxd. It actually might be closer to 74, but I think the credits are a little bit longer because of the restoration. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like this is right up my... I've really been getting into just, like, Japanese, Korean, like, not even just horror movies, just, like, I, I bought a few from Arrow recently that I showed you, I just, like, because I wanted to just try some new stuff, and it's just, like, I'm really getting into that, so I'm, I'm very ha- excited that you recommended another one for me, because um, I really enjoy their filmmaking uh, style. Yeah, and so, and normally I try to talk about, like, um, information about the... the the writer and uh, not the writer, but like the, um, the cinematographer and um, um, you know uh, technical information, but surprisingly, not a lot of it is available. Really? Um, so, because think about it, it was a pretty, it was a pretty small, it was a pretty small movie. But Arrow, being a great company that I respect completely, have a um, they always have a booklet. Or most of the times have a book yep. that will have essays, but then they also have information about the restoration. So I'm buying this now, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so according to Arrow, about the transfer to sleep so as to dream is presented in a 1.37 to one aspect ratio, which is the old Academy, uh, the Academy ratio. Four three televisions is actually one point. 
three three to one. Yeah. So this is slightly wider, not significantly, but yeah, um, it's slightly wider with mono sound. The film was restored by Magica Entertainment Media Services Incorporated. The original sixteen millimeter, and this, and you saw this trailer. This movie looked gorgeous. It was sixteen millimeter. Really. That's impressive it, to restore it that, that well. It, it might it might have been blown up to thirty five, but it looks usually if you take sixteen millimeter. Blow, have you ever watched Evil Dead? Yeah, no, of course you've watched yeah, Evil yeah. Dead. Uh, the Evil Dead was originally shot in sixteen millimeter. They blew it up to thirty five millimeter. Usually it's heavier on grain. Right. It's not as sharp because you're blowing up a smaller image and making it bigger. So I don't think that's the case here. The original 16mm Kodak black and white camera negative reels were scanned in 2K on a DFT scanity. The 2K grade and restoration were supervised by director Kaizo Hayashi and cinematographer Yuchi Nagata. The mono soundtrack was remastered from 16mm original sound negative and a 16mm screening print by reproducer slash Magnatech Electronic. The restoration was financed by a Kickstarter campaign launched in 2019 and runs three minutes longer than the original 80-minute theatrical re- Okay, I guess it is 80 minutes. Okay. Than the original 80-minute theatrical release due to the extended end credits. Wow, um, okay. There's actually, a, there's a, I, I, I started watching it. There's actually a great featurette on here with the director talking about the restoration. Oh, wow. And I wish more companies would do that type of stuff. I, I want to see how the restoration work is done. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, yeah. When did this come so, out? Like, and this movie came out in 1986, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, it's based on stuff from the like. Yes, okay, okay, 1986. Okay. Gotcha. But they do a great job of recreating that look. It was 1986. Um, like I said, I really liked this movie. It's not going to be for everyone because it, it it's it does have a slower pace. It's foreign, so there's subtitles, which some people don't necessarily like, and. It's funny. It's it's got a phenomenal sound design, just used very sparsely. Yeah, that's interesting. And you even said the the audio too, just with them speaking, is used sparsely as well. Yes, like I I actually think so. This movie is interesting because uh, so I'll say like the look of the film is incredible. Um, I think it has a really nice sharpness to it, for, considering the fact that it is sixteen millimeter. Um, the black levels are incredible. There was definitely some like there's definitely grain to the film, but it was it was not like distract. It felt naturalistic. It never felt distracting. When they were showing like clips from like the old school samurai film, that's very grain heavy, but intentionally so right. because it's supposed to be an old, multi copied version of a film. Right. But surprisingly, even though this the the um, sound design is very sparse and it's mono, it's incredible. It's incredible. It like at times when I was watching, I was saying to Amanda, it's like this doesn't sound like one speaker. It sounds fuller, and it's one. So another thing, physical media companies. I'm sure you've seen it on the back of boxes. They'll do 1.0 mono, and they'll or they'll sometimes do 2.0 mono. Yep. The whole reason they do that is because most people don't have a sound bar. Uh, with a center speaker or in my case a a surround sound set with a center speaker so if you play a 1.0 mono through a two channel soundbar or television it's going to come out the left speaker hmm. so they do a two channel for to make it a little more accessible for people with sound bars or whatnot so that way the audio will come out of both speakers right okay so I have it coming out of one speaker. It's a 1.0 mono track, and it sounds so full. There's times where I feel like it's coming out of multiple speakers, and it's not. It's just because it's got phenomenal fidelity, uh, and it's got really decent like bass. It's known as LFE when it's like 
Um, so there's bass, it's like the thumping, and then there's like that that you get in the movie theater that really like guttural low like rumbling. Yeah, that's called well LFE. It stands for low frequency effects. Um, you usually can't get that without a subwoofer. Um, and I, while I have a subwoofer, like this film just it it got it got low enough that it actually triggered my subwoofer. Oh my god. <laughs> So like, cause you know, there's, uh, you know, you're, um, there's, there's like the frequency that your speakers can handle. And then once you get to the point where it can't handle anymore, it kind of hands it off to the subwoofer. Yeah. There were sounds that it was like triggering the subwoofer. I'm like, oh shit. Like, wow. it's you, we kind of got a sample of it in that audio. Yeah. There was like a point where it got kind of like deep and rumbly. It, 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 it uses that very selectively. I, for a, this is a phenomenal mono soundtrack and this is the, while it's like I said, very sparing. So it's not like a great, like, um, show off type of reel. Um, it is one that, um, I think like audiophiles will get, will get some enjoyment out of and especially cause it feels so earned when it finally shows up. Well, this is coming in in like a couple days and I plan to watch it when I get back from vacation. So I'm excited. You've got me all hyped up for this movie. I'm like super stoked. <laughs> and it comes loaded with special features. Um, so back of the box says for special features, high definition, Blu-ray presentation. It's got the original uncompressed mono audio. Uh, so it's like good quality, optional English subtitles, Brand new audio commentary by Japanese film experts Tom Mess and Jasper Sharp. That's a cool name, Jasper Sharp. That's pretty solid. It's got an audio commentary with director Kaizo Hayashi and lead actor Shiro Sano, recorded in 2000. Foreign commentaries can be tough because unless they speak English, it's just more reading. Yeah. Um, which is not necessarily a problem. It's just, you know, you have to be right. Cause I usually put commentaries on in the background when I'm doing stuff. Oh yeah. So you have to be paying attention for this one to read. Yep. yep. Uh, and then it's got a feature. How many eggs? And it's with actor Shiro Sano, <laughs> a brand new interview with the film's lead actor. And then another one called talking silence. Um, Benshi Midori Sawada talks a brand new interview with the early Japanese film about on early Japanese film culture and the art of the Benshi silent film commentator. So if you want to know more about early Japanese films, that's another reason I love special features. Like, the you know, the things you just buy from Target, they'll usually have, like, what's called an EPK, like a short little, this movie was great to make, and it's, like, five, ten minutes. Yeah. I love when it's, like, here's a movie, you know, here's a here's a, a featurette that's about this very specific subject that kind of that ties into this film. Oh, that's funny and you mentioned that, because uh, Alligator has one of those... Um, on the 4k that they have because brian cranston actually worked as a pa on that movie and mm -hmm. he's got like a 10 minute little featurette about what he did on set and i love shit like that because you get to learn about one specific scene that he did and what he did or who he met so i love watching stuff like that i also love one of my favorite types of features are video essays video essays yeah arrow does quite a few of them and criterion does uh, a couple um where it's um it's like an essay, but it's 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 got whoever um, wrote the essay recording their 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 audio over it and cut to clips of the film oh, talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. Um, it's also got Midori Sawato performs the Eternal Mystery, an exclusive Benchy performance to the film within the film, the restoration of To Sleep So As to Dream. Um, and then this one's called Fragments from Japan's Lost Silent Heyday, a selection of scenes from the silent films from the Tokyo Toy Museum archive. So it's a bunch of films that kind of inspired this film, which is another cool thing. Yeah. You know, it, you can learn a lot just by watching this disc, which is what I love about Criterion, which is what I love about Arrow. I 
and you know scream factor as well um i feel like we've gotten to the point now with special features that so many companies well we, we need to have something and they, and they almost all do a good job here's an interview with this person here's an interview with this person but i love that criterion and now even arrow is kind of treating special features in almost like educational text yeah i totally agree like, with that and it's like it's and not to say every release is like this, because there there's always going to be situations where it's just kind of special features to have them, and they're never poorly made. But I do like when you feel like you kind of just took a film school course on a movie after watching the special features. Yeah, especially if you're into stuff like that, which I am. I like nerding out and learning new things or seeing how something was made and stuff like that. It's just it's just fascinating to see, especially for, I know for people like me and you, just like we're film nerds, We just I just like to know as much as I can about a favorite movie of mine. Or even a movie like that, like that I just bought the um the what was it to shit I just to live as to, to sleep so as to dream to sleep so as to dream like I'm probably gonna watch all that stuff because it's gonna be I guarantee it's a fascinating movie that I want to just know more about so those are always fun to watch yeah so that's what I've got I was gonna talk about Magnum PI but I might wait until I've watched a couple more episodes to really formulate my thoughts on it um and then a glass we'll keep this one short because we are running a little late and I still gotta make dinner oh jeez um, okay. <laughs> uh well I, I got out of work and just came straight here to do this <laughs> i put on my hat and then ready you know, to go up here um so friend of the show steven millick he also is one of the the co-creators of the twisted dreams film festival here in milwaukee wisconsin which is going to be operating this october uh big news there they're going to be uh they're going to have my former boss at trauma entertainment lloyd kaufman in the audience Woo! I will also be hopefully doing some panels and some stuff. So if you want to, if you like listening to me talk about movies, come on down to the Twisted Dreams Film Festival. But Stephen, he 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 was one of the he's one of the founders and uh, of Twisted Dreams, and he wanted to ask me about editing because he said you know he can watch a movie and you know, obviously judge the cinematography, he can judge the acting, but editing being such a silent art form, he's like I don't really know what I'm looking at in terms of what's a well edited film and what's a poorly edited film, and I definitely do have. Have some thoughts and it's it's I, I i can't necessarily think of perfect examples but i definitely do know what i like out of film editing so before i kind of take the floors or anything you want to talk about the discussion of film editing good bad or otherwise um i mean oh, and, uh, and, uh, real quick it is worth mentioning too the reason he had brought this up was because the oscars just happened and um and obviously with film editing um being one of the the things that they pre-recorded um and it's one of my favorite awards that's what it came up and um joe walker is the editor for dune and he won the award for best editing also nominated was king richard tick tick boom um don't look up and the power of the dog sorry i had to get that out the way oh no you're good um there's a specific scene from a movie called contact um where i think it's called contact where this young girl's going up to get medicine or something like that. And she comes up the stairs and the camera follows her. And then it ends up, I don't know if you've seen this movie. Have you seen contact before? Are you thinking of signs or contact contact? It's uh, by Robert mm -hmm. Zemeckis. No, I've not. There's a mirror shot in this movie. That is literally one of the crazy. You'll just have to look up this scene. I'll send it to you, but it's one of the craziest th scenes I've seen. And it was perfectly done how she comes up the stairs, the camera pulls out and then she ends up pulling. It's the wildest thing I've ever seen. It's so seamless. Yeah, It's so seamless. But 
Um, two directors come to mind, and that's Kubrick and Mike Flanagan. I just like the way Kubrick uses his camera. Oh, and even Wes Anderson, too. I think Wes Anderson probably is my favorite. I don't know if he's editing the movies, but how his movies are no, shot. he's got an editor. Yeah, so he, how his movies are shot and compiled, how he will follow. Just his style of like shooting and filming and editing, that is probably my favorite would be Wes Anderson. But, you know, Kubrick and uh, Flanagan for horror movies. But Wes Anderson's style is is just unmatched, in my opinion. And uh, I just love the way of how he just how he works. You know what I mean? If you've seen a Wes Anderson movie, you probably know what I'm talking about. But I would use him as my example of just a very, very well edited, put together movie. Any of his movies, to be honest. Yeah. So, like, for me, it's like it's it's hard to necessarily say, like, what's good editing versus bad. And right. you, you can wax philosophic about it quite a bit. Um, there's actually a phenomenal documentary. It's called The Cutting The Cutting Edge. It's uh, the the art of film editing. You can see that if you if anyone picks up the Blu-ray of the Stephen McQueen film, the Stephen McQueen film Bullet, it's actually a special feature on there because Bullet won best editing that at the year I was at the Oscars. Oh, nice. So they decided to put this documentary on there. And it's got like big name a- editors in Hollywood all kind of talking about the art of editing and editing is such an important part of the film because it's also one of the only inherently it's 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 only one of the few inherent um film specific art forms music you can you can just make music acting came from the theater directing came from the theater art design came from the theater yeah. <laughs> like editing and i guess even sound design are very specifically for film and i always think of this this quote from george lucas and he uh, early uh, young george lucas said that editing is his favorite part of filmmaking because making the film shooting the film that's cutting down trees but you're building the log editing's building the log cabin and i've always thought about that so it's, it's hard for me to necessarily say what doesn't work what does work but i can talk about what i like i feel like and this is such a dumb answer but i feel like it might make sense to some people (laughs) editing is such a seamless invisible art you don't want to notice the editing the second you notice the editing it's one can consider poor editing and i'm not saying like you know people like me who have edited films or in, in shorts or whatever who was looking for it, but if the general audience starts being made aware of it, then one can consider that it's poor editing because you don't want them to see it. Um, I'm also a big fan of, of building tension. Um, there's a time and a place for it, but I, I just, I, I'm not a big fan of, of frantic cutting. Um, and it almost has to be a handshake between the director, the cinematographer, and the editor in a lot of ways. Because, like, I just think about, like, uh, Brian De Palma. I love the way he edits. He has his films edited where he holds on, you know, a master shot for a while and only cuts in for close-ups when he feels like he needs it. You know, there's some movies we watch just close-up after close-up, and it's it, it gets disorienting. Um Once upon a time, it was considered, if you ever had to cut the camera, it was considered a faux pas. Like, back in the early days of filmmaking, it was considered a faux pas. If you couldn't tell your your story in a master shot, you were a bad filmmaker. Hmm. They thought if you ever had to edit, that was you hiding something. Um, and so that's what I, what I ultimately think about. Like, I think about building tension. How, you know, every every cut is, is a breath. Yeah. 
the the less you cut, the more you're building. The more you're building. And I think that's what you respond to with Kubrick's editing. Yes. Um, that's what I and even and Mike Flanagan because he cuts a similar way. Yeah, Mike Flanagan I'm sure has done like frantic cut shots, but it's done with great intention. It's not like you know the, the first Fast and the Furious movie where it's just chaotic editing <laughs> yeah. and oh, or man. like um, I love the James Bond franchises, but like the opening car chase in in um, in um, Quantum of Solace is so disorienting because you never know where you are at any specific right. time. Editing should also help build up the scene, build up the build up the environment. So I guess that's what I'm looking for. I it's not necessarily the lack of cuts; it's how they're being used. Because um, eventually you do have to cut the camera, and it's is there a flow? Is there a pace to it? Um, and it's it's and it's hard to say. It's you know it's it's you'll notice when it's done poorly. That's the most I, I can say. Um, but it's also like, you know, there are some filmmakers who, who really like to utilize the long take and that's perfectly fine. But then knowing when to cut out of that take or what you're cutting to next, some of it is, 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 is juxtaposition. Are you cutting to something unrelated to give yourself the, uh, to kind of create associations in your mind? Um, you know, there's, there's, all of these, these these thoughts so that's kind of what i go for like i i'm watching for the pacing i'm watching how often they're cutting the camera and why and if i feel like there's a reason for it yeah you know because i definitely and it goes down to the way that i like to make make my films is i like to see how much of it i can tell in a master shot not because i'm trying to show off or do long takes because you can do you can do long takes without showing off like Steven Spielberg's phenomenal at that. You almost feel like he is editing with how much he moves the camera during his long takes. He's not showing off like the Copacabana sequence in Goodfellas where it's just like, ooh, look, a long take. <laughs> you know, There's so. another long take from uh, that I really enjoy from Haunting of Hill House. It's the, I don't know what episode it is. It's dur- during the storm in Haunting of Hill House that was done, I think it was like in three or four 15-minute take so they did one long take and then another long take and mm-hmm. i was like i, I was so impressed with flanagan that i was like oh my god coordinating that must be insane to do um well, tommy tommy lee wallace who edited halloween and directed halloween 3 and actually edited the fog he i asked him one time because I, I met him when i was still in film school oh, and right I, was, on. I was cutting my 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 senior thesis film from the darkness theater and i asked if he had any advice and uh, he gave me some good advice um but I said, so what was it like editing Halloween? And he's like, Halloween was a dream to edit. Because he said, when the film works and the director's firing all cylinders, he's like, I didn't have to do much. John was, he knew the film he was making. I just had to put them in in sequence. Oh, wow. So he's like, it was so easy. He said, the fog, on the other hand, was a nightmare to cut. <laughs> I can imagine. But there was just a lot going on with that film. And just, oh. so... He said that was the nightmare, and yet when you watch that film, it still feels like a John Carpenter film. It still has his pacing. He just that one took a lot more work. Yeah, interesting. That's so cool. You got to meet that guy. That's amazing. Yeah, and he also asked, like, do I film feel Dune was deserving? I think Dune, from you know a technical standpoint, I loved the, I love Dune, but it's also just one of the most technically um, 
fantastic movies of the year. It's also yeah. one of the best sounding and the best looking films of the year. Uh, but unfortunately, other than I hadn't seen any of the other movies other than Don't Look Up. You know, I hadn't seen Power of the Dog yet. I haven't seen Tick Tick Boom, and I haven't seen King Richard, so I can't really comment. Yeah. But you know, um, so do I feel Duna's deserving? Hell yeah! Is it more deserving than the other ones? I can't say yet. But Dune, in terms of what I look for out of out of, uh, out of an edited film, kind of hits my sweet spots. So. Yeah, every shot of that movie was just gorgeous. <laughs> every mm-hmm. single shot. So, but I think uh, Austin, unless we've got anything else, I think that's, I've kind of hit my wall of everything I've got to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I think we did good here. <laughs> so tell everyone where they can find your podcast, where they can find you, and we can wrap this bitch up. All right, we're on Facebook at Frightmares, and we're on Instagram and Slasher app at Frightmares Podcast. We're on Twitter at Frightmares underscore pod. Our email is staySpookyAtOutlook.com. Um, I'm Dr. Proctor on Letterboxd. You can follow me there and see what I'm watching and what I'm rating. Um, and then, yes, pod podcasts on Apple Music, google play or google music or whatever it is we're on like eight or nine different platforms so they're pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast that's where we're at so boom and well if you're listening to this you probably already know where to find the shameless picture show but in case you forgot we are on pretty much every major uh, podcast platform we are in letterbox which i've been very bad about updating uh, but i personally am on letterbox which i'm very good at updating um we are on Twitter, which we don't use a whole lot. We're on Instagram, which we do use a whole lot. And then we are on TikTok. It's pretty much just exclusively me doing it, but I do a lot of my physical media reviews on TikTok. It's also where I, I show off my physical media collection and uh, things seem to be booming over there. So if you like what you hear in terms of everything I had to talk about, so I, so to even I'm messing up, to sleep so as to dream or even Joys in the Pussycats, you can get more of that over at TikTok. And in bite-sized pieces, I do that. I do. I do these reviews in three minutes. Austin, you've watched a couple of them. I fit a lot of fucking information in three minutes. Yeah, no, I love the TikToks. Every time I see one come across, I'm like, like, I'm gonna watch this every time. All right, guys. So I think that's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to the Shameless Picture Show. Have a good week. Bye. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.